This audio download is the extended version of the Family Life Today radio program. Your download is made possible by Family Life Legacy Partners. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Wednesday edition of our broadcast. Uh, This week we are spending some time looking at the traps that have been set for our teenagers throughout our culture and what we can do as parents to help steer our children around these traps so that they don't become ensnared. And what we're talking about comes from a book by Dennis and Barbara Rainey called Parenting, Today's Adolescent. And uh, Barbara joins us in the studio today. Hi, Barbara. Nice to have you back with us. Thanks, Bob. Dennis, these traps that face our teenagers can be invisible to us as parents, but they can also be deadly to our kids. They can. In fact, uh, I think that's why much of the Scripture is warning us about snares and traps There are more than 50 references in the Old Testament and New Testament to avoiding the snare of the enemy Mm -hmm. or the trap of uh, the evil person. And over in Proverbs chapter 7, there's the warning against the adulteress. And although it's talking about a married man, I think it relates to our teenagers as we help them navigate the, the dangers of all the traps set before them. It's speaking of the uh, the adulteress here in verse 21. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Mm. And uh, then Solomon says, now then, my sons, listen up. (laughs) Listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her path. Mm -hmm. Why? Because there's a a, a snare there. There's a trap there. And it may cost you your soul. It may destroy your life. And Bob, I think as parents, um, we need to assume the responsibility that, that Solomon was with his son when he penned this book and sought to instruct his son in the way of righteousness. We need to help our children uh, isolate and determine what those snares are, where the, the traps are being laid, and then help them understand how it happens. And he described the harlot here of persuading the young man with her words and then with her eyes. And he explained to his son how it all happened. And, you know, that's a picture of how we as parents are to help our children around these traps. And, Barbara, the trap that Dennis has illustrated from the Scriptures for us is the one that we're going to be spending time with today and tomorrow. It's the trap of illicit or premarital sexual relations. And whether it's a young lady who is uh, subtly enticing our sons to be sexually involved with her or a young man who is putting pressure on our daughters to be sexually involved with him, our kids are undoubtedly going to experience, going to face this temptation, this snare of uh, how involved they're going to be with a member of the opposite sex. And it starts earlier than many of us would ever expect. And that's what I think catches us as parents off guard, is that it begins in junior high. 
and our kids, our girls and our boys, our sons, are faced with this temptation very early on by children who are um, more grown up, who are uh, raised in a more promiscuous background than we were, who've been exposed to more things uh, in the sexual area than our children have been. And uh, our kids are exposed to that, and they need to know what to do. They need to know what their standards are. They need to know how to make a decision about it. One of the reasons why we have uh, come up with this material, Bob, is out of our sixth grade Sunday school class. We taught that class for more than 11 years and taught more than 511 and 12-year-olds. Now, that's a lot of sixth graders. Mm -hmm. And when we started teaching that class, um, we looked out over them and we made a wrong assumption. We thought they're little, they're small, they're young, they're not ready to be challenged in some of the most fundamental areas of life. And I'm going to tell you, over the 11 years we taught that, if those children taught me anything, it was that that assumption was dead wrong. 11- and 12-year-old children, and I believe even down to the age of 10, are capable of beginning to hear some very mature material around building their own convictions and beliefs and taking a stand for certain things. In fact, one of the things that shocked me was one one of the times when I was teaching about sex to these kids, and I wouldn't talk about the birds and the bees. I always talked about the character issues, your choices, and what what are you going to do with the opposite sex when you get alone with them? I asked them how far they would go with the opposite sex. And I'll share later on in uh, the next couple of broadcasts what they said, but what shocked me was they already knew. They had already drawn some lines in their mind of how far they were going to go in terms of physical involvement with the opposite sex. And what hit me about this is that here they are. Many of them haven't even broken into puberty yet. Mm -hmm. They haven't experienced electricity. Mm -hmm. And they're already figuring out how to turn on the light bulb. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen when the electricity is turned on? What's going to happen to their standards then? Mm And it it so shocked me and so took me back that I began to uh, restructure everything I was teaching and begin to challenge them much as I would challenge a high school senior, challenging them to think through what their convictions were as they related to the opposite sex. And, and, And the bottom line for a parent right here is you need to look at that son or daughter who may be 9, 10, 11, 12, not quite a teenager yet, doesn't have a teenage body, not not gone through puberty at all, let me tell you something. You have a wonderful opportunity now, not two years from now, not six months from now, today, right now, to begin to instruct them and to shape their convictions around one of the biggest temptations a human being will ever face. Barbara, at the core of what you and Dennis have encouraged your kids to uh, to do in this area is a conviction that the standards most people are setting today are way too low. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've we've realized with our kids that that the standard of uh, maintaining their virginity is not enough. Because when a, a young girl and a young boy get together and they decide they like each other and they begin holding hands and hugging and kissing and other things, what's happening is is they're damaging their purity. They're losing their innocence. Uh, They're getting involved with each other emotionally. They're giving away part of themselves to another person that was not intended to be done until marriage. And so um, we realized 
that we wanted to challenge our kids to a much, much higher standard of purity. We didn't want them to just uh, end up in marriage as a virgin. We wanted them to enter marriage pure. We wanted them to enter marriage with uh, everything that God wanted them to have intact still there to give to their marriage partner. Mm-hmm. So we began challenging our kids with uh, with the idea of not getting involved physically at all, not kissing, not holding hands, not hugging, those kinds of things. And we began to talk to them about what that does to them uh, physically and emotionally and how that makes them feel and what, what's happening, what's going on when if they would do those things and why we feel that way and what our standards are. And, and uh, it, it's provided lots and lots of interesting conversations because that is – dramatically, radically opposed to what the world is saying. Yeah. How long did it take, Dennis, before the word got out at the kids' school or in church that the rainy kids are really weird and their parents are really strange, too? I, You know, it's interesting, Bob. I uh, I don't know that the word's uh, out yet. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Not as much as we'd like, I think. I, yeah, well, yeah. You know, that may be true, too. But um, I think what, what, what children are looking for today are some standards that build security. When, when you build a fence around a playground, that enables the children to use the whole playground. Mm-hmm. And teenagers are no different. They need to learn how to establish relationships without defining those relationships physically. Teenagers, given their natural bent, are not going to define and develop relationships verbally and emotionally. They're going to define and develop those relationships romantically and physically. Mm-hmm. And so what Barbara and I had to determine was, hey – we can either uh, take our teenager head on and say, you know what, we're going to tell it to you like it is. We're going to challenge you with what we believe is the right standard for you as a young person. And it's a high standard. It's a holy standard. But it's the right standard for today. And you know what? We're not going to compromise by uh, mumbling or stuttering or stammering. We're going to step up and we're going to, we're going to tell it to you straight because we believe as we do that, that's going to liberate you and free you to be able to get on with what you need to be focusing in on right now, which is developing relationships and friendships on a casual basis and not on this in-depth romantic basis that all teens naturally move to. Mm-hmm. What insanity. I mean, think about it, that Christian parents would be herding their children off down this path into the the gaping jaws of romance, dating, and sex. And I want to tell you something. That's what a lot of them are doing as we move our children, even into our Christian groups, Mm -hmm. where we're encouraging these kinds of relationships. And it's the parents who need to seize the high ground. It's the parents who need to take the child by the arm and guide them through these traps. Barbara, as you have challenged your children in these areas, have they thought about it for a second and then said, boy, I can see the wisdom of that (laughs) mom and dad, and I'm with you 100%, no kissing for me until I get to the altar? Never. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's so different from what they're seeing and hearing that it's taken them a long time to kind of swallow. But, you know, I was just thinking of the old adage, uh, rather be safe than sorry. Mm-hmm. And I would much rather battle my kids and go over and over and over this than have them mm-hmm. have regrets someday. I don't mm-hmm. want them living with regrets. If there's any way that we as parents can help them uh, 
avoid making mistakes that they're going to regret for the rest of their lives, I'm going to do it. And so what it means as a, for a parent, for me as a mom, what it means is is that I we stay after it and we go over it and over it and over it and continue to reinforce those things and continue to reteach and explain why. And because they're out there in the culture all the time and the culture is giving them all these other signals. And so you're having to um, you're having to battle all that, and it just takes a lot of time and a lot of energy to continue to do that and guide them in the right direction. I think if a parent who's raising an adolescent today was asked, um, what are you uh, challenging your teenager to? What's the standard when it comes to sex? I think most parents would say, well, we want them to be virgins mm-hmm. when they get married. And, and yet I think that goal as such sets our children up to get much closer to intercourse than if we were building a fence at the top of the cliff that is a ways away from the edge. Our children need to be challenged with where they are going to draw the lines as they get involved with the opposite sex. And, and a great question here for any parent would be, if your child came to you, let's say your 11 or 12-year-old child came to you and said, Mom, Dad, um, I'm going to start uh, thinking about girls here in the next uh, three to five years, and I'm just trying to think through my convictions. Now, this will never happen. <laughs> right. okay. yeah. This will never happen yeah. ever, okay, unless that child's listening to this broadcast, and that would be a wise child that would do that. <laughs> That's right. And there are some who are doing that, by the way. But that particular preteen came and said, uh, what should my standard be? Physically speaking, mm-hmm. how far should I go with the opposite sex? Mom, Dad, where would you draw the line for me? Now, as a parent, dad, mom, how would you answer that child? And why would you say what you say? Right. You may disagree with our little challenge that we've given our children. But, you know, whether or not you agree with us is not really the issue here. The issue is, what do you believe Mm -hmm. and where do you draw the line? And you know what I fear? I fear today in the Christian community because of the tolerance emphasis because of the the feel-good culture that we live in, that the Christian community on many of these points is being conformed to the world and, and doesn't want to draw any lines. We don't want to frustrate our kids, and somehow we think that maybe even like Freud talked about, we're not going to create some kind of anxiety or hostility that our kids have toward God if we don't draw any lines for them. And the reality is the culture is drawing the lines, or it's erasing them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Really, the culture is erasing those lines, and our teens are being pressed further and further and closer to the edge. And meanwhile, the parents, what are we doing? We're stepping off to the side and going, well, kids will be kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not right. God gave children to us as parents. We're to be the protectors of our children's sexual purity, of their emotional purity, of their, their sexual innocence, And the issue, what are we doing with that? Are we leaving them to their own devices? Are we going to challenge them with a standard that that forces them to think long and hard about the culture and about who they are and about their decision to follow Christ? And, And I wonder, Bob, if some of these decisions that we've made haven't resulted in our older teenagers who have now moved on into their 20s, if it hasn't resulted in them of of them taking a stronger stand for Christ because they had to courageously begin to adopt some of these standards. Barbara, Dennis talked about not only their sexual purity, but their emotional purity as well. How far physically do young men and young women need to go before their heart begins to get swept away? 
Well, they don't need to go very far at all. And, uh, you know, even these junior high kids can get paired up with another guy or a girl. And uh, just the contact that they can have in a school setting is enough for them to be giving their emotions, where they begin to feel attached to that person, where they need to talk to that person. And that's what we're talking about. It's it's this sense that these kids have of, I have to be with him. Mm -hmm. I have to... uh, have his attention. And if he doesn't give me that attention, then I feel lost or I feel um, insecure. And, and and that's what begins to develop. And we don't want our children's security dependent on another kid at school. Mm-hmm. Their security needs to be in who they are as a person and who God created them to be. So it does not take much physical interaction at all for that emotional side of them to get caught up in it. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden they're hooked on this person and they have to have that person. You know, the Bible is so wise, it recognizes the emotional uh, connection that occurs when two people get involved sexually. And I think that's why it warns us over and over again to avoid it. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And let me just say there, where are the emotions in our body? Mm -hmm. That's what the Scripture is warning us about. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. 2 Timothy 2.22 also says, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Mm -hmm. What's God after here? He wants a pure heart. I want to read you something from our book because it's, um, it's something we wanted to capture in words just to give parents a picture of what our goal ought to be. Picture a beautiful, exquisitely wrapped package. Inside is the most delightful, untainted pleasures you could imagine. Now, wouldn't you want to be able to give that gift to your child? Wouldn't you love to give your child a gift that would be good, wholesome, something to treasure for a lifetime? That's what this gift of innocence is all about, helping your child understand who they are as a sexual creature reflecting the image of God. That's your goal. And once you make it your goal, it will begin to change the way you think about how you guide your teenager down through the dangerous, trap-infested street through Teensville. Mm -hmm. Bob, I think every parent is jealous for our children to experience all of life that God intended. And it needs to be experienced in God's timing. And I believe sex, and that is all of sex, was intended to be experienced in marriage. Mm Mm-hmm. Barbara, I can think of two big reasons why parents are intimidated in talking about high standards with their children. Uh, The first reason is because they feel like hypocrites because they compromised their own standards when they were young people. Mm -hmm. The second reason is because they know it may cause them to have to uh, change some things about their own behavior today, mm-hmm. movies they're watching, mm-hmm. right. television shows, or even their interaction with uh, members of the opposite sex, even in the context of marriage. Mm-hmm. Well, I think parents need to just evaluate what's more important. 
Is is your child's life more important than your life and your pleasures and your interests? Uh, is is your past going to keep you from doing what's right? I mean, most of us grew up and lied, but do we ever say that we sh- shouldn't teach our children not to lie just because we made that mistake? I mean, we've all made mistakes in different areas of our lives, but that doesn't mean that we can't teach our children what is right and hold them to a mm-hmm. standard mm-hmm. of godliness. I don't have a problem at all with, with holding my kids to a higher standard in all kinds of areas in, in ways that I didn't uh, – didn't live life the way I should have because I I know more now than I did when I was a teenager. I'm much more mature uh, in Christ than I was then. And I want my kids to experience all that God intends for them to experience. And that is more important to me than, than my own interests or my own uh, pleasures, so to speak today. So I think parents need to pull back and say, what is, what's my goal? What's more important in life? Is the life of your child more important than your life or not? And if they say to you, well, what about you when you were a teenager? What did you do? How far did you go? How do you answer? If my children ask me that question, well, I think that needs to be answered very, very carefully because different parents are going to have different answers to that question. And I think that there may come a time when a parent may need to say to a child, but it would need to be when the child is much older, mm-hmm. here are the mistakes that I made, and I am trying my best to preserve your innocence so that you don't make the mistakes that I made. But I think parents need to be very careful in what they say, when they say it, and how much they say mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be careful about ever sharing a great deal of detail around sexual failures Mm -hmm. that you may have made as a teenager, a college student, or as an adult. Um, Children at this age need models and heroes. And emotionally, I don't think they're ready to hear the whole truth and nothing but the Mm -hmm. truth Mm -hmm. from their parents. They need you to stand strong on behalf of the standard. Now, that doesn't mean you, you lie to them. And and you, you uh, tell well, them yeah, or that you act like you're perfect and never do anything wrong either. Right. I mean, they they need a role model, but they they need someone that they know that you know you've made some mistakes, but you don't have to enumerate them and spell them out. I might say something to a child to the effect, you know, that's a great question, and someday uh, you and I'll have a have a conversation around that. But right now, here's what I want you to focus on as a young man or a young lady, and. Move the focus off of you back where it needs to be on the Scripture Mm -hmm. and on the young person who is beginning to develop his or her convictions. All of these things we're talking about begin as convictions in the parent, but it can't stop there. It needs to be implanted in the heart of a child. Thanks for listening to Family Life Today. For more downloadable audio programs or other resources, visit our website at familylife.com.